and welcome to the Resolution Project's Young Leaders Now podcast. We're very excited to be joined today by Alan Kendunga. Alan is the founder of Talent Match, a professional development program aimed at closing the skills gap and reducing youth unemployment among Rwandan youth through career development services and partnerships. Alan is also a content marketer in the field of artificial intelligence, where she helps create and tell stories that empower organizations communities and individuals to better understand this sophisticated technology. She currently oversees the content pipeline at Fuse Machines, an AI talent solutions provider. Alan is passionate about developing human capital, sustainable economic development and education. Alan hopes to create a social impact among young people by helping them realize their full potential and is excited by the future of technology and all innovation that comes with it. Hello there, Alan. Hi. Thank you thanks for, for uh, having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. Of course. So just to begin, I'd love to hear a little bit about um, about your background. You were kind of born in, in Uganda and just kind of walk us through your life growing up there. So my family moved to Uganda just before the genocide and I was actually born and raised there for part of my life. Um, I moved back to Rwanda when things were back um to stable to stabilization and the you know security was safer and people were moving back home so my family and I um, decided to move back home. And um, what, what year was that? Um, we moved back in two thousand. Well, we were kind of moving back and forth. So my f- my mom sort of came back and my my siblings, my older siblings, came back in the early. Um, I mean, late 1990s, so like 98. Um, but I didn't come back because I was still little and I was also just in school. I couldn't leave my mom. But my, my older siblings were old enough to just go on on their own and kind of uh, leave. So they came uh, back to Rwanda, kind of started paving way for all of us to come back. Um, I came back in 2008, actually, which is pretty recent. Um but yeah, it was really quite, um, it's part of my life and, you know, my childhood memories are all in Uganda, even though I love Rwanda because it's my home. But I- it's nice to finally be back home and, you know, feel stable and settled in. But I miss Uganda too. <laughs> yeah. And, and so how many years were you uh, living in Rwanda for? So I lived in Rwanda for over... I'm going to do the math. So I lived in Rwanda for all, all six years of my high school and my gap year of high school. So that will be seven years mm-hmm. before I traveled to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're, you're in different stages of your life uh, living in Uganda versus Rwanda. But what were the main differences that you saw between the two countries? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, Uganda is a kind of a carefree sort of lifestyle compared to Rwanda where, I mean, at least now, things are so much more structured. Um, You kind of have this rhythm that everyone sort of follows. Uganda is sort of like you just figure out things on your own. You just, you're carefree. Mm -hmm. Um, I miss that part of lifestyle. And, you know, I also grew up in a really small village. So it was also a different lifestyle, I bet, from people who grew up in a bigger city. Um, and so, but, but I loved that life. Looking back now, I'm glad that I got to experience that because I, I can completely relate to someone who's from, you know, a very small village in the middle of nowhere somewhere and they make it 
to a different part of the world that is so parallel to their world that they grew up in. Um, and that's how I felt when, I mean, I lived in Kampala for a little bit in my um, high school, in, in my primary school when I was going to boarding school, but it was a different experience growing up as a child, you know, someone who grows up in a bigger city is essentially different in many ways from someone who has gotten to experience what it's like to grow up in a small farm somewhere and then essentially move to a bigger city. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I, but I, I love both. Um, they're both quite different experiences, but quite um, enriching in different ways, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you're now an, an entrepreneur. Were mm -hmm. you always interested in entrepreneurship? I think I've always been, um, and, and I say I think I've always been because even though it didn't have a label as an you know, entrepreneur, of course, that's something that comes with, you know, education and, you know, exposure, then you start to label things. But I think in terms of what an entrepreneur is, in my opinion, it's someone who is trying to solve a problem, someone who's trying to find solutions to a problem. And, in, and for me, I've always tried to find ways to solve problems. Even when I was so little, I would always, okay, mom wants this, she doesn't have this, how can I help, you know? And I mean, I grew up w in a family of six and we were just, you know, being taken care of my mother and she was, she needed as many hands and as much help as she could. So I think that naturally kind of uh, nurtured me in a way that thinks um, in a problem-solving way and also always trying to figure out a creative and not quicker but an effective and efficient way to solve a problem and I think going on into you know adult life and also education I've been able to kind of tease that out more but I think even as a child as a teenager I always wanted to solve problems and if I saw something that wasn't going well I always asked how can I make it different and make things better so mm -hmm. yeah so after um going to high school in rwanda you then moved to the u.s mm -hmm. um walk us through uh that journey a little bit you know what what made you decide to to move to the u.s yeah actually my friends always ask me did you always know you wanted to study in the u.s the answer is always no mm -hmm. i actually didn't think about going to study abroad until I was in my last year of high school. And I was just, I remember we were filling out these forms when you finish high school in Rwanda, before you do your national exams, you fill out a university preference form. I'm just naming that. But you're basically picking out the top universities that you want to go to. Um, and I had, I was just like, figuring out where I wanted to go, but I couldn't see myself in any of the universities, even though, they were all great universities and I thought at that point, why do I not feel a sense of belonging at any university? Why do I not feel like strong? You know, when you feel that gut feeling that you definitely wanna go there and you see yourself there, I couldn't see myself in any of the campuses. So I said, you know what, I'm going to take a break and sort of figure out what I'm going to do. So I took a gap year, which I like to call it growth year. For me, I, I think, Calling it a gap year sounds like a waste, <laughs> a waste of time, but it wasn't a waste of time. I actually um, applied to a program called Bridge to Rwanda, which is a very selective program that works with students 
from you know high school diverse schools in Rwanda to you know prepare for you know schools abroad or apply for schools abroad and being in British Rwanda was sort of really helpful for me to first tease out what I wanted to do and where I wanted to study but also to grow as a person I really learned a lot during that time I did a lot of things I volunteered I uh, studied for my SATs because we don't do SATs in Rwanda so if I wanted to go somewhere that required SATs I had to take SATs so I spent a little bit of my time doing that and then did internships here and there but uh, for the most part I was just studying for my SATs then after I obviously applied to schools and got into Bates and yeah then here I am and then I could feel myself going to Bates. <laughs> <laughs> then you could feel it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> After you were there, yeah. Yeah. Um, great. So, so walk us through a little bit uh, of your experience at Bates and, and you know, what you studied um, when you kind of first came into contact with um, entrepreneurship and, mm -hmm. you know, what really interested you about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for people who might be familiar with Bates it's in, or they're not familiar with Bates, Bates is in... Lewiston, Maine, and Lewiston, Maine, I didn't know until I arrived, is uh, currently actually has a lot of Somali immigrants that I had no idea mm. when I was coming in. But going to Bates wasn't my choice. It was my choice, sort of, but I didn't know any schools besides Harvard and Columbia right. and the big ones, yeah, right? Yeah. So really deciding like the smaller schools was my decision essentially you know but in the beginning i didn't know what schools to look for but i had help along the way so i asked people their opinions and i told them my interests and where i see myself you know i wanted to be in a small school where i could do things where i could feel myself where i could be you know contribute to the community um, and I was speaking to one lady from Bridgewater, and she said, you know what, I think you should look at a school called Bates. And that's how I really learned about Bates. So I always joke with her that uh, Bates is her school. She chose Bates, and I went to Bates. <laughs> <laughs> um, but being at Bates kind of really helped me to grow and to also think um, analytically and, and, you know, bringing the all the theories that I had in my mind and also being able to put it in an academic setting and make sense of it. So, for example, I always wanted to, you know, if my mom had an issue and I wanted to help, but being at base, I would ask myself, okay, what would this concept be in real life? How can I apply what I'm studying in real life? And so... When I was taking a few classes, I mean, of course, Bates is a liberal arts college, so they're not going to teach you business courses or this or that. But as a whole, you're learning to think and to problem solve. And so being at Bates sort of brought out a much more rigorous problem solving uh, techniques in myself and also being able to think bigger than, okay, my mom needs help with this, I can help, right? thinking bigger beyond me, myself, and my mom, you know. So I started thinking, how can I help other people? Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's something that really I learned most at Bates and also being in the Lewiston community really helped because I could see, I could relate a lot to kids who were 
moving in from you know Somalia and they're just adjusting to new environment, new language, new culture. And so being able to say, well, how can I help even these kids that are right here next to me make it and transition into this life around Bates, because it's pretty close to Bates, was very helpful. Um, but along the way, I, of course, took some classes that helped sort of bring out my entrepreneur uh, interests. So I took online courses, even though Bates didn't provide uh, business classes, I did take some classes through the Harvard Business School. Uh, it's called HBX Core, and those were really very helpful in terms of thinking critically, doing the math, and being analytical and all that, which I think is very crucial as an entrepreneur to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and as you were taking these classes, were you always kind of relating back to um, your time in Rwanda and thinking about kind of the problems there that you could solve and and kind of thinking about how you could apply some of the the lessons that you're learning back home? In most cases, yes. Uh, Some classes were very relevant and intriguing to think about applicability and how they can play out in real life. Some classes were not as applicable, but they were still helpful. but there's one class that I remember taking uh, with one professor. It was a political economy class, and we were talking about you know, foreign aid and sustainability. And I couldn't stop helping thinking about why do we always need aid? You know, why do we always need foreign aid? Why can't we come up with sustainable solutions that will help us generate you know, sustainable solutions? And so you know, that saying that says, you know, teach me how to fish and don't give me fish. I don't know if I'm even saying mm-hmm. it the right way, but <laughs> I that class sort of kind of uh, brought back that saying to myself and I started to reflect more on what I could do that was sustainable, that was tangible and wasn't a handout, you know, but a hand up. And so, and that's when I started thinking of, you know, the problems that we were having, especially as young people. And I th- one of the things that we were struggling with, and we still are, is the skills gap among you know, young and among youth. And so I thought, of wh- how can I help you know, in any way in that you know, space? So yeah, most classes were intriguing in that way, I would say, yeah. Mm. And, and talk a little bit more about this skills gap. So it's um, a gap from when s- is it specifically in Rwanda when, when students are kind of graduating from high school that there's a, a gap in skills mm-hmm. um, to uh, what employees are looking for at yeah. that time? Yeah, so yeah. So the skills gap is anywhere from, you know, high school. I think when you're in high school, at least you're starting to think broadly about what you can do and you have some basic skills as a high school graduate but in Rwanda even someone who has graduated college they still are struggling to present themselves or even write a simple a simple resume and so for me it was mostly about not only solving those simple questions or I mean simple challenges that we were having among mostly college students and recent graduates, but as a whole, the labor market, in my opinion, I think needs a little bit of a push um, and a little bit of a skills upskill, if I'm even saying it right. Mm -hmm. But I, I was just thinking, how can we make our 
graduates more competent, competitive, both at home, in the labor market at home, but also beyond us. Because we have, you know, the whole region, you can work in Rwanda, you can work in Uganda, you can work in Kenya or anywhere else. But you need to be able to beat everyone around you, you know. And, and frankly speaking, I don't think Rwanda was up to that bit, you know. And we still are working on that. Um, so I started that program. I started time March actually just out of that need to close that skills gap, the need to help as many students as I could to get into the workforce, even to just give them the confidence and and to re make them realize what they want, what they can, cannot do, and where they need to work to improve. And so Talent Match really just focuses on helping individuals realize what they can do and what skills they need. And the skills that they need is where we come in also and try to fill in the gap. Mm -hmm. um, and the hope is that with more training and more uh, rigorous um, practices and hands-on skills, that more of the graduates and students will be much more comfortable and competent to go into the workforce. But also employers will see them and realize, oh, I need that person on my team. You know, and I think it comes down to, it's not that there are no jobs or I mean, Rwanda is one of the fastest growing economies, which means there are more jobs coming in, there are more companies opening offices here and there, and new startups. So it's not a it's not a it's not about jobs not being available. It's both sides being prepared and seeing value in each other. So the employer versus the employee. So that uh, I'm trying to bridge that gap between the two. And so we first met you um, at the Resolution Project at, it was the Igniting Innovation Summit, right, in uh, Boston in 2017. Yeah. Um, so how far along was your idea uh, for Talent Match at that point? Um, and kind of what has happened since you um, mm -hmm. first became a Resolution Fellow? Yeah, when, we, when I first went to Resolution to... Um, you know, when I met you guys, it was pretty early on. It was actually sort of an ideation, an idea. I kind of had worked with a few friends one-on-one, -on -one, but I hadn't thought about how can I bring all these people who can benefit from this together. So when I went to Resolution, it was, it was I had already worked with a few, about two or three of my friends, but those were very personal. And that's when I actually realized there's room for more work to be done. There's room for growth and expansion. And that's when I went to resolution. Mm -hmm. So I would say we were pretty early stage. And now you see a lot of progress. We've heard about three of our fellows, if I would call them, but students who have uh, worked with us get full-time offers now, which is really big. I mean, they were first interns, which was my goal. I was like, if you get an internship, be happy because mm -hmm. that's one step and they took it seriously and they worked really hard and they got full-time offers after that and that's for me that was a sign that there is value in what we're do we're trying to do and if we stick to it and had more support you know resolution and other people who think we're doing something that's necessary that's going to change lives i think we can do more
And so how many people, uh, how many students have you helped so far? So, so far, um, I've worked with about 10 students. Um, the goal is to grow the group and to have more students participate and also to have a sort of a much more structured day-to-day uh, -day sort of programming that engages students, do field work and, and do cases and all that, so... Yeah, we have a lot of work ahead. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's uh, kind of one half of your of mm -hmm. your life. And mm -hmm. uh, since graduating, um, you now work at Fuse Machine, which mm -hmm. is kind of the other side. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, just before I go into Fuse Machines, mm -hmm. and I want to say that even though our majority of our work and emphasis is on students, we can't really do it if we don't have employers backing us up. And so we are really running on partnerships. If we don't have partners in the workforce who are willing to take on interns, even bet on an intern, we're doing, we're doing nothing. So I just wanted to mention that. And anyone who is looking to you know, partner with us or even has anyone that they think it would be a great partner in this case. It's it would be you know we'd love to connect. But anyway, so this is in Rwanda specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are currently in Rwanda. We we haven't expanded to any other places because Rwanda is the priority for now. Mm -hmm. But as we you know get better at it and you know have more experience, we might expand. So. Great. But so Rwandan now, em Rwanda. employers, you've heard it here. If yeah. you're looking for uh, an intern, you know where to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sure. So you just asked about... Yeah, tell us about, about Fuse Machine, about how you started there. So you're currently working in, in New York now in Manhattan. Right, yeah. yeah. I work in New York now. Um, Manhattan is fun, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but Fuse Machines is also one of the organizations, it's a startup, it's an, an artificial intelligence uh, solutions provider. So what they do is they help businesses and organizations uh, build AI powered systems. So an AI uh, solutions to business challenges. So an, a simple example would be, say you want to, you know, let's say you're a retailer and you want to sell more things to your customers and you don't have a system in place that helps you understand who's bought what. And, you know, a simple example would be like a recommendation engine w that we can build for people that are in that space, for example. If you want to sell more clothes that are similar to the shirt that so-and-so bought that you think they might like, you come to us and say, how do I get more people to buy from me? And we figure out what the problem is and then we recommend most likely a recommendation engine or something else. But um, our engineers will most likely do the building and deploying and all that. Um, uh, but the one thing that I love about Fuse Machines in particular is their education program. Mm. So Fuse Machines' mission is to democratize artificial intelligence. And what that means is to help many businesses source AI talent, because AI talent is really scarce, that's the truth. Um, but to also help talent get in touch with businesses. So we do get students from all over the world. Uh, we have students in Nepal, Rwanda, Dominican Republic, and we're looking to go to more places. And we take those students who already have a very strong math background, 
computer science and all that, and we train them specifically in machine learning and AI. And the goal is to try to get as many uh, talent in the AI space because there's a high demand and a very low supply. So um, that's I think that's my favorite part of the company. Of course, I love solving business challenges and helping companies make more money and all that. But I think the education part um, is quite personal to me because I really mm. strongly believe in education. Um, but yeah, so I've been at Fuse Machines working with them uh, for about 11 months now. So it's been fun. I'm curious, how did you um, become interested in artificial intelligence? Was it something yeah. you kind of <laughs> always interested in or you kind of learned as you Actually, go? Actually, many people ask me if I have like a coding background, a computer right, right, science right. background. No, I don't. But I... The way I chose Fuse Machines was actually really interesting. I was in my last year of my semester, my last semester, and I was looking at all different opportunities. For a while, I wanted to go into consulting, um, but then I stumbled across, across Fuse Machines and what they were doing. I already knew a little bit about artificial intelligence, but not quite a lot, and I was really intrigued to uh, learn more. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to go to Fuse Machines so I can learn more about this cutting technology that was going to disrupt every industry. <laughs> I didn't want to stay behind when yeah. everyone was at the forefront. So um, part of it was I wanted to learn uh, new knowledge, new information, be in a new space and just really learn because that's what I've been doing for the past 11 months for real. Mm -hmm. um, but I also really decided not to look for other artificial intelligence firms because of Fuse Machine's mission to democratize AI. Really, that was it. I looked at the, their website. I said, okay, you're trying to go to other places, take your AI education. I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and so how big is artificial intelligence going to get? What's, oh. your, what's your prediction? <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I don't know if I can predict on that. I mean, uh, that would take an expert. I think like <laughs> 15 years of industry you know, exposure. But... And I, I think the truth is it, it's already disrupting a lot of industries um, and a lot of people have already jumped on the on the ship. You know, they're already looking for ways to incorporate AI in, in their businesses, organizations and different functions. And um, I think it's something that we all should be looking out for and finding ways and preparing ourselves because you don't wake up one day and say, oh, I want to build a chatbot. Or, okay, I, I think I want to put in, you know, a self-learning machine or a computer vision, something. I th it's something that you have to think about now and prepare and have a strategy around it and build the infrastructure, collect the data, because you won't wake up the next day and say, you know, everyone is using AI, so I'm going to use AI. So I think it's really going to vary by industry and of course by business challenges and also country-wise country-wise so because a lot of nations will of course adapt the technology but it should be curated to solving local problems and and but it will go big i think Mm. And and is this something that you can see yourself incorporating with Talent Match as oh, well? Oh, absolutely. I mm. mean, if I had the data, there's so many ways I can see myself using it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's kind of the first step is, is collect collecting the data. Yeah. I mean, yeah. think about it. If 
I'm sure, I think I know one company in the US that's already doing it. I mean, if we're in the AI talent space, think about if we didn't have to um, interview all the candidates and we knew what criterias we were looking for and we could screen, pre-screen all of them, you know, without us being there in person, that would be great mm. for us, right? Big time <laughs> saver, yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh, definitely, yeah, yeah. I think um, AI can be, leveraged in many different industries mm. yeah for sure um and so tell us about your plans for the future so you're finishing up now at fuse machine correct i am so it's uh yeah it's bittersweet yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> um so i decided to move back to rwanda to see how i can actually give back on ground and see what problems exist and how i can you know be involved in solving some of the challenges that we have and so i'll be moving to rwanda pretty soon uh what i'll be doing exactly talent match and something else i don't know yet mm-hmm. but definitely talent match it will have most of my attention um and then we'll see what else is there for me to do great yeah what are you uh, what are you most looking forward to doing when you get back to rwanda <laughs> Uh, I mean, of course, motorcycles are very popular. <laughs> so a moto ride, I nice. think, would be ideal. But also just being home and um, appreciating the fact that I can go home. I mean, it's a privilege. It's um, Sometimes I meet people here in the U.S. who, when you're, you're, when you're in a different country, you can feel welcome, but it doesn't feel quite as much as when you're home even when you're home nobody needs to tell you welcome back mm-hmm. you just feel welcome back mm-hmm. you know and so i think i want to be able to really uh enjoy that and um just enjoy the luxury of having peace and being able to come home whenever i want and it's a luxury that we didn't have 25 years ago in rwanda so i want to enjoy that great yeah uh, and just to finish up a uh, couple more questions why do you think it's important for young people uh, like yourself to focus on social impact today? Yeah. So uh, for me, I think social impact is really trying to solve a problem that is going to change someone's life. It doesn't have to be the whole world. You know, you can do something that impacts even just one person and so thinking about social impact is thinking beyond yourself and I think as young people we need to be doing or thinking in ways that goes beyond ourselves it's so much easier to get lost in wanting to do yourself wanting to advance yourself wanting to get better and that's not a bad thing but we also need to be thinking about okay I want to get better how can I help someone else also get better Um, and I think that it really is social impact so we need to be thinking a lot about that because that's how we grow personally that's how we grow professionally and that's how we grow and give a hand to people who need that hand yeah it's giving back in essentially Mm -hmm. yeah and and what advice would you give for someone um, that is potentially, you know, in your shoes, uh, maybe finishing high school in mm-hmm. in Rwanda right now, and is mm-hmm. looking to uh, make a difference in their community. What what advice would you give to them? Yeah, um, I would say really learn and network. Uh, 
build relationships. It doesn't matter if you you expect something from them or they expect something from you. I think for me, my whole life has been based on relationships. I, I can tell you that. Like I didn't, I learned about every opportunity. Like I said, Bates wasn't my my first, my choice originally because someone recommended it. So if I didn't have that relationship, I would never have known about Bates. Um, so as a young person, at my age, of course, work hard, of course, you know, think creatively, but really build relationships. Um, I have a mentor who always says that, he always told me to dig a few wells, but dig them deeper. You know what wells are? Like, mm-hmm. like water mm-hmm. ponds or whatever. Um, and he always said, dig, uh, you may dig a few, but dig them deeper so that when drought comes and it's dry, you still have somewhere to draw water from. So my advice is build relationships that are meaningful. You don't have to know the whole world or the whole world doesn't have to follow you on social media to, for you to have meaningful relationships. So build them small but deeper. Great. I think that's a, a, a lovely way to end the conversation. So yeah. thank you so much for joining us. And thank uh, you very much. Best of luck with the move back. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. Great. Yeah.